Lord, we're grateful for this beautiful day and bringing us through this wonderful season of the resurrected Lord so that we might be encouraged as your people and follow you no matter where you call us. As this word is brought forth, I ask you, you would think our thoughts, that your words would be mine, that our wills would be bent to your wills in our daily lives, and that you would set our hearts on fire with love for you. For in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Bruce Waldke, the, the famous Dallas seminary professor, was walking through the Texas woods with his daughter. She was only about five at this time, and, and she came upon a cocoon that was moving. So a butterfly was about to be born, and she goes, oh, daddy, he's struggling. So he thought he'd give the butterfly a little hand, right? So he took his little pen eye off and, and cut the cocoon open. But when you do that, they're not ready to be released yet. Out came a blob, and the butterfly died. And Walkie said, I learned the lesson that day that they need the struggle of emergence in order to survive. That butterflies need the struggle of emergence in order to survive. You know, my, my strength coach, Jerry Logan, this big dude from West Virginia, put it another way. You know, no pain, no gain, Gene, get working. <laughs> All you, you've had mentors that had similar expressions, but you know what? Jesus has similar words for Peter as he is going to follow his plan as he calls each and every one of us to follow our plan. And what we learn in this text this day are three great truths that are for every single one of us. Number one, that the true Christian life has difficult times in it. Two, that the true Christian life is unique to each and every one of us. And three, it's true, so follow. I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel. We continue from last week's portrayal of Peter's restoration that Bob just read to us. Remember last week, the, the, the most important thing in our lives is to love the Lord. And it's from that love, you know, we serve. And it's true that serving does not prove we love God, but it's equally true that we cannot honestly love Him without serving Him. Peter has just received that threefold restoration, but also a threefold commission. Tend my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And that's even more significant when we realize that it was an ancient near ear cut, an ancient, ancient near ear cut, <laughs> near eastern custom. I got it at eight o'clock. To say something three times, to solemnize it before witnesses. So. They're sitting around the fire with the, with, the, with the disciples, and Jesus says it three times, and voila, in their eyes, Peter's restored, all right? And now with the restoration complete, a life of service awaits Peter. And so Jesus wants to make sure that Peter understands the significance of this calling. And it's helpful for each and every one of us as we look at these points together. 
The true Christian life is a life which is at times difficult. The true Christian life is one that's unique to each and every one of us. And because it's true, we follow. Let's look at verse 18 and 19 together. Jesus focuses the conversation on this matter of service by prophesying to Peter the future difficulties that await him. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Jesus is desirous that Peter understands that despite his growing older, there will come a day, Peter, when you're not able to run a 4840. Your bench press will be not 225, but maybe 85. But even among the weaknesses that you'll endure, you're going to be crucified like I am. You're going to die a martyr's death. The sense here is you girded yourself and you went forth with conscious independence. But a future time is coming when you will be infirm. And someone else will gird you and bind you and will crucify you. And if you know church history, legend has it that Peter was indeed crucified. And because he didn't want to be crucified, he didn't consider himself equally as his Lord he requested that he's crucified upside down. Can you imagine? Christ was telling Peter very explicitly that his subsequent life of service would be extremely difficult. With the humiliation of his at times inflated ego and even infirmity, and it would culminate in the shame of his own personal crucifixion. Not the best recruiting tool, eh? But Jesus is telling Peter, because Peter's mission is specific to him. Not to you, but to him. And we need to understand that. He's telling it like it is, as he tells us all as it is. Jesus also said to all his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Mark 16. Each devoted servant of Jesus Christ will bear his own cross in his own way. It has always been that way throughout church history. I bet you don't know the story of the Salvation Army. You know, we go to the Giant Eagle, we ring the bells, people plop some dollars in the kettle, and we say, Merry Christmas, right? You know, we think, what a wonderful organization to reach out to the least and lost of our culture, right? Do you know its beginnings and what those first Salvation Army workers endured? In 1865, William Booth began what was called then the Christian Mission. And it drew violent opposition. And it got even worse in 1878 when it became the Salvation Army. And he assumed the, the title General Booth. Because they were on a mission. They were an army for souls. And one Salvation Army officer walked into the meeting hall one day loaded down with dead cats and rats. He was carrying them. And, and they said... Get rid, why are you carrying them? He goes, if I don't carry them, they keep throwing them at me. Pots of urine were thrown down from windows above them as they were parading through the streets. And being beaten was a common occurrence in the Salvation Army. 
1889, it was recorded that 669 Salvation Army workers in London alone were assaulted, maimed, or killed for doing Christian ministry their way. And the newspapers mocked them. They called Booth Field Marshal Von Booth. And there was a band of, of punks. That's the only word I have for them. Absolute punks. Large numbers of them in London. And they called themselves the Skeleton Army. They devoted themselves solely for the purpose of disrupting Salvation Army meetings. They often attacked the members as they parade through the streets, just throwing rocks at them, bottles, beating on them with clubs. They frequently stormed the Salvation Army meeting halls by the hundreds, breaking out the windows, wrecking the inside of the buildings, and the police stood by and let it all happen, making no arrests. In fact, the police on the whole also frequently hassled Booth and his followers. Several workers were killed after the 1880s. A Salvation Army worker would take this promise. You must be willing that the child should spend all its life in the Salvation Army, wherever God should choose to send it, that it should be despised, hated, cursed, beaten, kicked, imprisoned, or killed, all for Christ's sake. I'm in! <laughs> right? Why were they willing to take on such a call 150 years ago and be the scum of their society? Why did Peter come to such a difficult end? Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. Turn to the right. You'll find it. All right. If, yeah, go ahead. Come on. You can do it. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ so controlled them. And followers of Jesus from the first century to today, we no longer live for ourselves, but the one who suffered for our sake, died and was raised. This word controls that Paul used, sun echo, is taken, it also in, it means to be pressed in spirit, Acts 18. But sometimes also describes they're being controlled, that they're being controlled, it's like a tight hold that a person would have on a prisoner, escorting a prisoner from jail cell to jail cell. The idea is to be gripped, to be hemmed in, Jesus' love so grips his followers that they will do anything for him because they love him. You know, we sing about this. We sing it all the time. Love amazing, love so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. <laughs> kind of makes you want to throw that out in the hymnal, doesn't it? We sing it all the time. But for Peter and all who follow Jesus as his disciples, if we say we love him and we walk in his ways, we're going to get kicked back. 
Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments, and he is he who is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Paul continues, the love of Christ controls us. And so when we love Jesus, we walk in his ways and we heed his call. And we get kicked back at times for it. Hudson Taylor was once introduced at a missionary meeting. And he was introduced as one who loved the Chinese. And as Taylor slowly shook his head, he answered thoughtfully, No, not because I love the Chinese, but because I love God. The love of Jesus controlled him. And the love of Jesus also means, at times, that we will suffer for him. When God sent Ananias to Paul, he said, to Ananias, go. For Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So in John 21, Peter was told he would especially glorify God through his death. So when Paul writes to the Philippians when he was a prisoner, in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The love of Jesus so grips us that they no longer want to live for themselves, but for him. And it is lives of joyful obedience. But it also means times of difficulty. It's not every day, you know, on Ascension Day we talked about how because of the reality of the ascended Lord interceding for us and his ministry to us, the Christian life is full of great joy, great hope, great effervescence. You can't replicate it. It's one of a kind and it's contagious to the culture, but when we walk this way, not everybody's going to buy it. And if our lives are characterized by nothing but ease... And if we know no problems because of, because of our walk with Jesus, something is wrong. John Stott, preaching on 2 Corinthians at All Souls in London, once said, Today, the church is not so persecuted as much as it is ignored. It's a, it's a revolutionary message. Its revolutionary message has been reduced to a toothless creed for bourgeois suburbanites. Nobody opposes it any longer, because really there's nothing to oppose. My own conviction, for what it's worth, is that if we Christians were to compromise less, we would undoubtedly suffer more. If we were to hold fast the old-fashioned gospel of Christ crucified for sinners and salvation as an absolutely free and undeserved gift, then the cross would again become a stumbling block to the proud. If we were to maintain the high moral standards of Jesus, of uncorruptible honesty and integrity, of chastity before marriage, and fidelity within it, and of costly self-sacrificial love, there would then be a public outcry that the church had returned to Puritanism. If we were to dare once more to talk plainly to our neighbors about the alternatives of life and death, salvation and judgment, heaven and hell, then the world would rise up in anger against such 
old-fashioned rubbish. <laughs> Physical violence, imprisonment, and death may not be the fate of Christians in the West today, but faithfulness to Jesus will, without doubt, bring ridicule and ostracism. This should be no surprise to us. However, for we are followers of the suffering Christ. Well said, Uncle John. It's a fact for the followers of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, from the first century to the 21st. And Peter was to know what was awaiting him and all who were truly following him, that at times the Christian life is difficult. In Christ's church, he wants us to know it too. That's the first thing. The Christian life is at times difficult. Secondly, that the true Christian life is a unique life. It seems that this scene is that Jesus and Peter have gotten up from the breakfast and started to go along the shores of the Tiberias Lake. And John is straggling behind. We've had this wonderful banter between John and Peter that John has been recording for us, right? Since Easter. It's been kind of fun. And so Peter... Noticing that John is nearby, maybe he's uncomfortable about his own future. He asked about John's and he says in verse 21, when he saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? In other words, what about the young buck? He's, you know, he's had it good. You got to love Peter. You know, he loves Jesus with all his heart. He's been restored. He's been commissioned, but he's still Peter. <laughs> You're still you. You know, God doesn't take your personality wiring out of you, and he uses that for his glory, And it, it just as he's going to use Peter. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are ESTJs, Myers-Briggs. Some of us are INFPs, Myers-Briggs. God uses them all. Okay? And so, therefore... Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, verse 22, what is that to you? Follow me. In other words, don't concern yourselves with what I choose to do with the lives of my other servants. You just keep following me. He wasn't discouraging Peter's interest in welfare of others. He Rather, the unhealthy habit that each and every one of us have with measuring one's lot to somebody else's. Because we do that, don't we? All right? A beautiful passage in C.S. Lewis's The Horse and His Boy beautifully illustrates this point. The boy, Shasta, is conversing with Aslan the lion, recounting the sovereign workings in Shasta's life, how Aslan was the lion who drove the jackals away while Shasta slept, that Aslan was the one who propelled the boat to bore him to the shore to receive help, that Aslan was the one, you're reflecting upon these sovereign claims, and suddenly, as Shasta listened, it dawned on him, So, it was you who wounded my friend Erebus. Aslan says, Yeah, it was. But what for? said Shasta. Child, I am telling your story, not hers. 
I tell no one any story but his own. See, each one of our lives is a sovereign creation of God. Our worth, our effectiveness, God's favor in our lives is not determined by our comparison with others. We are not to be involved in unprofitable discussions about the relative providences of others' lives. How one Christian has it so easy. How one ministry is fraught with hardship and another is not. How one believer becomes famous while another, who's ten times better, is, lives in absolute obscurity. We are simply to follow Jesus. Which brings us to our last point. Because it's true, follow him. Verse 22. No matter what a situation Christ's call to us is, follow me. He said it twice. Verse 19 and verse 22. Below the surface of these words... And there was something very beautiful and meaningful for Peter. This stemmed from the fact that the very first command that Jesus gave Peter was what? Follow me. You know, as Jesus observed him fishing. Peter was younger then. He knew little of what would be involved or how much would be involved. But he did follow. Thus the command comes again. How these words must have been deepened by the seasoned ministry years by now. Peter had been in Gethsemane. He had witnessed Golgotha. He had denied Jesus. He had learned the necessity of following Christ. What a depth of meaning these words must have carried for Peter right now. He didn't say, go and memorize all the books of the Bible, complete your MDiv, and then come follow me. He said, follow me. Right? You don't have to have your act together. This is Peter we're talking about. <laughs> right? Isn't that good news? Amen. <laughs> this is the point. The gracious command rings out to each and every one of us, follow me. Now look at verse 24 and 25. John comes back to himself and he says, after he just says, Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. All he said was, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? A little commentary on Peter, a little more smack talk, how wonderful and human the text is. And then, verse 24, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. My friends, this is not written like ancient Near Eastern, Eastern literature. It's written as testimony, history, for us to know and to verify. Check it out. But follow. Make no bones about it. And he then adds another commentary, and this is beautiful, because it ties together with the end of chapter 20. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were everyone to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You couldn't put a library with everything that Jesus did, but all you need to know is there. Because he said in chapter before, if you flip back to chapter 20, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciple, which are not written in this book. 
but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's incomparable. This is historical eyewitness biography, and we call them good news. It's extraordinary. It's true. I love you, Lord. I will follow you. It's that simple. I believe it. In closing, why? Why do we follow? Well, a great illustration is taken from an ancient Near Eastern history story. The story is told that King Cyrus, after conquering the known world at that time, uh, including the great Babylon, had a general under his authority whose wife had been accused of treason. This general, she was brought before a great tribunal, found guilty, and sentenced to death. After the sentence was pronounced, the woman's husband, the general, made his way to Cyrus's throne and requested. Imagine this. Your wife is sentenced to die, found guilty of treason, and you come forward, gentlemen, and you say to the king, King Cyrus, let me take her place. In front of the whole court. Got to remember, ancient courts had 50, 100, 200 people in it. You know, lots of, of political posturing going on in this assembly. Cyrus was in awe of what was happening before him in front of the court. And he says, can we terminate such a love as this? He then paroled the woman to her husband and dismissed them. And as they're walking out, the general looked at his wife and said, Did you see the benevolent look of the king as he looked upon you as I spoke? And she said, No. I only had eyes for the one who was willing to die for me. That's the Christian. That's the true Christian. That we, no matter what difficulties we're going through, will follow him. You're not Peter. We're in the West. The worst I've ever gotten is Jake is you're a whack job. And I said, cheers. <laughs> That's the worst I get. That's all right. Friends, God is moving around us. Let's be faithful to the call to follow him. You introverts, you extroverts. You intuitives and you're sensing. You thinkers and you judgers. You feelers and you're perceivers. Let us all, no matter what our personality, follow Jesus because it's true. Together. And let's be used of God as we await for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for the next five months to see the Lord work in each and every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful for what you've done in each and every one of our lives. To be a Christ follower is our desire. And Lord, no matter whether we're, we're, we're new to this thing of the Christian life or we've been walking with you for many, many years, or maybe we, we come here this morning and we really don't understand the purpose that I've been speaking of, the freedom that I've been speaking of, the assurance. Lord, we place each and every one of us, our trust in you right now, alone. And we ask and we respond to your questioning 
Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Yes, Lord, we will. Follow me to the end of the age, O Lord. And for your glory alone, O Lord, we will do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.